Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. I hope you're well. Well, certainly better than you were yesterday morning, having digested the sumptuous fare which we were served up at Europe's top table on Wednesday night. The defeat against Monaco opened up plenty of old wounds, and we saw some very familiar failings from an Arsenal side who once again, at this stage of the competition, blew it in a big way. And this time, we don't have the excuse of, well, you know, they're one of the best teams in the world. They're not. They're not a bad team. Certainly defensively quite good. But they'd only scored four goals in the uh, group stages. They scored three against us with half their players injured, a right back in central midfield, and a striker who makes Stephen Hawking look mobile. It was, it has to be said, pretty dismal stuff all in all. There wasn't anything really that you could take from that performance and use as a positive. Not a single thing. Not our midfield play, certainly not our attacking, and certainly not our defending. And while rightly there has been a lot of focus on the way we defended, at times it was like watching an under-12s game or just a load of puppies chasing a ball around the place with no shape or discernible organization, um, I think we also have to look at the other end of things the way we attacked, that in the light of a defeat like this, it's easy to overlook the fact that we did make chances in this game and didn't take them. Because you look at the way we defended, and that is what has you tearing your hair out, and you think, you know, even if we don't score, at least we could defend better than that. But look at Danny Welbeck in the first couple of minutes. He turned away from a defender quite brilliantly, and then hoofed a shot over the bar from close range. At this level of football, when you're in that position, you need to, at the very least, hit the target. And from there, you would expect your striker to score a goal. Olivier Giroud. You know, the guy's been in fantastic form for us. He scored eight goals in his previous 11 games. He'd made three assists in that as well. Um, he was talking about how he was feeling confident, how he'd improved his game. So it's kind of typical that right after that, he has a stinker of epic proportions. And there's no other way to describe the performance other than it was just unbelievably bad. A striker can miss a chance or he can do something wrong. But the chances that he missed and the way that he, he used the ball, pretty much everything he did was terrible. Absolutely terrible. I suppose the two best chances were the header in the second half. And the the one that he blasted over the bar after the Alexis shot. So you're looking there at three chances that Arsenal really, really should have scored from. Welbeck and Giroud twice. Now that doesn't excuse our bad defending, but when you defend badly and you attack badly, 
game is usually only going to end up one way for you. And I thought as well that w one of the key issues we had was a lack of proper balance in the team. And we've seen this before, whereby we've had an imbalanced back four where perhaps Monreal is playing at centre-half, where we've got Chambers and Mertesacker playing centre-half. It's not right, the balance. And yesterday we had in central midfield Santi Cazorla, who I love, uh, Coquelin, who struggled a little bit, but what we were missing was a more traditional central midfield player, someone like Aaron Ramsey, someone like Jack Wilshire. I know that some people um, aren't terribly keen on Mikel Arteta, but uh, I don't think that we would have been that disorganized with Arteta on the pitch. And over the last couple of games, you've looked at this Arsenal side, uh, look at Palace, the way we played then, look at the way we played against Leicester that we lacked a player in the middle of the park who could help us control the game, who could dictate the pace of the game. It's brilliant putting out all those attacking players, and it was beautiful to watch the way that we played against Middlesbrough. But that was Middlesbrough, and this was Champions League football. And if it had clicked for us, people would be saying, wow, brilliant, this Arsenal side have, have done it. But it didn't, and it never looked like it was going to. A bright enough start to the game where we had that well-back chance and a couple of other little moments where we caused them danger and then after that they just dug in we got slow and we got predictable and what was also predictable was our attitude to conceding a goal and even to conceding the second goal it's a two-legged game and as much as it's valuable to get something from the game at home you don't have to go gung-ho like it's, it's got to be decided on the night. Now, I don't know where that instruction or where that attitude from the team came from, whether that was the instruction that they were getting from the sideline to try and get a goal, to desperately try and get a goal, but we got a goal and then absolutely blew it by conceding a third. Again, I'll come back to control of the game and leadership and... Uh, and what we were missing was somebody just to say, OK, it's 2-1. We have played like shit. We've got a great goal there from Oxlade-Chamberlain. Let's be thankful of that goal. See this game out at 2-1. It's not ideal, but let's not take any risks. Let's not leave ourselves exposed to the break the way that we have done for most of the second half because we were trying to get a goal. We've got a goal. With a couple of minutes to go, chances are you're not going to get another one. So just sit back, keep your shape, play the ball around, and take the 2-1. In the context of that game, that seemed to me the only reasonable thing to do. Instead, we have players bombing forward, defenders on the halfway line, and the net result of that was that we conceded a third goal that we shouldn't have conceded, not only because of the way that we, we, we set up, but also I think the goalkeeper should have done better with that one, to be perfectly honest. But it now makes the second leg, I don't suppose you could say it's impossible, but it's certainly very unlikely. A 3-0 win, it's not impossible. Anything could happen in football. They could have a man sent off in the first few minutes. We could score goals. We could play really well. They could play as badly as we did last night. It's not impossible, but it's unlikely. And I think that's the, the real regret for me is that third goal because it was just so, so stupid. There was just absolutely no need to go for an equalizing goal. The way we played, 
how bad we were, how exposed we were. The Monaco coach said, we took advantage of the space that Arsenal gave us. We, should, we just shouldn't have given them any space after we scored that goal. Took it in our back pocket, go to Monaco, see what happens. 2-0 win, far more likely than a 3-0 win. Still very difficult, but, you know, it was just bananas. And I don't know whether that came from the manager on the sideline. He seemed to be furious with his team that they hadn't realized they were playing uh, a game over 180 minutes. But that surely was his job after we scored that goal, was to get his team organized just from the sideline. Senior players should have been doing that. Just making sure we didn't concede again, keeping the tie relatively alive. As it is, it's in the intensive care unit right now, breathing like... Like that. That's if the tie was a thing, a person. This team is very annoying sometimes. You see them turn a corner and you think, yes, we've turned a corner. And you're so busy celebrating the fact that you've turned a corner, you don't notice the manhole that's open right there and you fall right down it. Damaging your cockix, your tailbone. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, still to come, we'll be looking ahead to the game against Everton on Sunday. Hopefully we'll get some team news. If not, I'll just I don't, I'll make some up. I'll just throw some shit out there and hope that it's accurate, or I might just touch on who I think the manager might bring into the team for Sunday's game, because I think he's got to make a change or two uh, ahead of that one to try and right some of the, the wrongs of Wednesday night. What else? I don't know what else. Other stuff will be on the way. But now, time for this week's guest. You'll know him from the Tuesday Club podcast, his work on Absolute Radio, and lots more. It's Ian Stone. Welcome to the show. Hi, mate. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Um, I I want to ask you what was your favorite bit of wednesday night was it the way we defended like startled wildebeest or was it when we missed all those chances do you know what i had a nice meal afterwards in a restaurant in, <laughs> and it was really the starters were lovely what did you have and that was that was an excellent moment i had some bruschetta and then i had this nice salad and a bit of wine it was just nice you know the whole thing was nice and we talked about other things you know yeah <laughs> That was undoubtedly the nicest part of the evening. <laughs> Did you want to just sort of trade recipes for the next 15 minutes? We could do that. <laughs> yeah, look, I know why I'm here. You want, you want to know, oh, my God. It was, uh, it was painful, wasn't it, really? Yeah. A bit painful, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, was it more painful because there was expectation of of actually doing something in in the champions league this season beyond crashing out in the first knockout round because when you're facing barcelona when you're facing uh, bayern munich you know you're up against it but when it's monaco i don't think it's unreasonable to expect a bit more than we got well I mean, I think the expectation was... I think people were getting a bit carried away, going, well, let's say we beat Monaco and then we get Porto above in the, in the quarterfinal. And then, you know, you never know if you're in the semifinal. And I'm thinking, look, I don't think this team is probably good enough to beat Real Madrid or Barcelona or Bayern Munich, but I I did think they were good enough to beat Monaco. And, and so did, apparently, all the French journalists, and so did... I mean, this is the this is the, the second choice defence that Monaco had mm. of the fourth best team in the fourth best league in Europe. I mean, I think we should be able to beat them over two legs, and we played like um, 
like we never played the European time before. Yeah, it would, some of the uh, the the problems that we had were all a bit familiar, weren't they? The, the particularly defensively, oh. where we we get caught out with that high line, and you know we don't necessarily have a huge amount of of pace in the centre of the defence. Well, one of our defenders, central defenders, definitely does not have a huge amount of pace. That, those two, those last two goals were two of the most fast-esque things I've ever seen. Mm. I mean, it was. I, I mean, you just watch them behind me. Keith, who also does the uh, the podcast, the Tuesday Club. After the third goal, he's going, "Why do you keep doing this to us?" And I thought that was very apt, really. I think it was—it was, you know, it should have been done over the public announcers, above the announcement system. You know, why do they keep making the same mistakes? That is—that is the very definition of stupidity, isn't it? Mm. You learn from them, don't you? And and yet, yeah, they keep doing this stuff. You know. They they were so panicky, so panicky, and you think surely they've learned enough by now. Yeah. Apparently not. Doesn't look like it. What, what what was your thought when we scored that Oxley Chamberlain goal? Because that what drove me mad was, you know, they went for a second goal and we were quite lucky to get one at all. Yeah, they they did go for a second goal, and I, and obviously it was. I mean, Arsene Wenger said it was more heart than brain. And I thought, okay, I see that. Mm. But there should be someone in that team. There should be experience in that team going, calm down. Mm. You know what? Calm down. Even if we get the ball with two minutes to go, let's just, you know what? We can knock it forward and get a couple of people up there. And if we get a lucky knockdown, then maybe we'll get an equaliser. But if we lose 2-1, we have been lucky to come out of this game, 2-1. And we'll take it and go there. Because if we win 2-1 in 90 minutes over there then we go into extra time and it's game on at that point. But, you know, which we're capable of doing. But three goals, it just feels a little bit too far again. And um, it is, it's massively disappointing. But I think we have got our disappointment in slightly earlier than we normally do in the sense that normally we go out for the first properly big team that we play. And this time we've gone out you know, in the knockout stages, at the same round we usually do, but to someone who aren't that, to, to a team that aren't that good, and I suppose that's the disappointment. Yeah, really. that makes it worse. <laughs> um, yeah, it does make it worse, but it's just, yeah, it would have been nice to win last night and go through, but this competition will continue to disappoint us while we continue to be as naive and flaky as mm. we so obviously are. You know? Yeah, I mean, th- there have been some great European nights and some some fantastic performances, but it is a competition that continues to to frustrate and to disappoint for various reasons, and we keep finding new ways of doing it, which I guess is impressive in a way. Um, but but you know, it, it's, nothing if not creative. Yeah, this is it. This is it. But I mean, you know, every year finish third or fourth, qualify for the Champions League, and then yeah. go out of the Champions League. It, it, sometimes it feels just a bit pointless the the whole European thing, other than to you know raise a few quid. Well, yes. I mean, I suppose the question is, would we rather be playing in the Europa League tonight in a competition we've got a realistic chance of winning? You know, I mean, as much as it would be great to see Barcelona or Real Madrid or or Bayern Munich, we are light years behind them, I believe. I mean, I truly think that. And I watched Barcelona on Tuesday night against Manchester City, and I thought, wow, this is a different planet. I don't think we could eat with that team. Uh, Not over two legs. Yeah. And 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 it, and to be honest, 
it's sort of nice to enter competitions you've got a chance of winning, really. Um, so I have mixed feelings about the whole qualifying for fourth thing and, and, and what it actually means in a, in a real sense. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of us are the feeling the same way. Maybe we could get into the Zenith Data Systems Cup. That would be good. <laughs> Do they still exist? <laughs> I don't know. Zenith Data Systems. I don't know. I'm not actually sure if they're still around. There you was... know, technology moves so quickly nowadays. Yeah, yeah there's <laughs> probably countless data systems providers out there, and, and Zenith might be. I imagine. They've gone to the wayside at this point. <laughs> um, do, do you give them any chance? Yeah. Of, <laughs> do you give them any chance of doing it in Monaco? I had a quick look this morning, and I was looking through Monaco results, and I think the last time, I could be wrong now, but I think the last time that they conceded three goals at home was um, in 2009, as far as I could see. Right. Uh, you know what? I think we're capable of scoring three goals against anyone. I truly do. But I think that... Do I give... I think we might win in Monaco, because I think Monaco will be about 85%, and we might actually... It'll be the same as Munich. It'll be the same as all these games. Uh, they find... Like you said, they find new ways to disappoint us, but in the end, it's the same old ways again. Mm. It's naive defending, and and and, and by the way... As far as last night's concerned, as much as people are saying it was a terrible performance, we had enough chances to win that game easily, and we didn't put them away. So it's not just about the defending, really. If Giroud scores at 1-0, they're not going 2-0 up. It's going to be 1-1, and it's a different game. If Danny Welbeck hits the target in the first two minutes, which... I know that Sergio Aguero is world-class, but he would have hit the target with that, and he would have worked the keeper. And there's all those things... It's fine margins. I mean, you can't miss that many chances and expect to not have to, to, to come from behind. And that's when we panicked. Mm. I was going to ask you about Olivier Giroud. He, he was a guy in great form going into this game. And after yeah. an hour, he came off an absolutely broken man. The, the only performance I can liken it to was one a few years back. I think it was Nicholas Bentner Nicholas against Bentner. Burnley. Nicholas Bentner against Burnley. I now, said that last night. I'm not, I'm not trying yes. to say that they're, you know, Bentner and, and, and Giroud are, are similar but it, it just that day Bentner could have been out there for four hours even when Burnley had gone home and he still wouldn't have scored um, and yes. it reminded me of that in in the sense that it just it seemed faintly ludicrous by the time he'd been taken off it was just how much more can go wrong for the guy the only the only difference was that Bentner came off laughing because he was that we sit and I watched him come off and he was laughing because we were winning I believe anyway against Burnley I mean I might be wrong Bentner came off laughing because he's just you know which are oddly enough even though there's all sorts of psychological flaws with Nicholas Bentner I think it's almost a correct response because some yeah. days it just doesn't go for you yeah. you know and Duru you know, he might need therapy after something like that. I mean, forget shooting practice. <laughs> he might need some sort of professional help because you're right. I, I think it was almost cruel to take him off when we... Another thing I think was a problem was that it changed the way that we were playing and, and we didn't really make... What did we make? One chance who came off. Mm. You know, I mean, it was unfortunate the chances were all falling to him because obviously he couldn't. What did somebody say? He couldn't have hit an aircraft hangar. But, <laughs> but, 
um, he he does hold the ball up and he does occupy the centre halves and and he makes chances for us. And I think once he came off, the whole we didn't we didn't look dangerous at all after that. We had one chance, didn't we? Yeah. Which somehow didn't go in when it hit Theo Walcott lying in front of the goal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think we have to we have to just accept that it was one of those nights where something could go wrong. It did go wrong. Mm. Um, but I think we also have to say we keep making the same mistakes, and one wonders if we're ever going to learn. Part of the, it almost feels like part of the psyche, doesn't it? In a way, like it's 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 it part of the DNA almost of uh, of the the football club at the moment that these things keep happening, and we seem to turn a little bit of a corner. But there's a great big light lion around the corner instead of a nice open. Well, how surprised? And well, how surprised were you? How surprised were any of us that mm. that happened? I mean, it was shocking, and yet all too predictable. And that, in the end, you know, if it happened to Chelsea, when Chelsea lost to Bradford, that was a major, major shock. And you went, what happened there? But when it, you stopped laughing, it's not going to happen again. This when you, <laughs> which I still haven't, to be honest with you. But you know what I mean. It's something yeah. that you go, all right, that was a bad day at the office, and, and uh, it'll probably never happen to them again while Mourinho's there. Whereas, do you know, I mean, we, we, could, we could murder Everton on Sunday. We could go to Monaco and win, and then we could lose at home to Hull or something. Yeah. You know, and it, and it wouldn't surprise us. We, we are... I think it's a shame to say it, but we do seem to be psychologically flawed. And it and and I hate to say this, but it may well be down. To, it may well be, but it, it's got to be down to the manager, hasn't it? Sure. Really? Yeah, well, I mean, he's the only constant. You know, the, the, the players have come and gone. Personnel has changed. Yes. We've spent a shitload of money on really good players in the last eighteen months. We have. And and yet yeah. the, the the mental issues or whatever, like you say, the psychological issues remain. So he's the constant in all of it. Yes. So where does that lead us then? Ar- <laughs> I mean, I don't even like therapy. to have this conversation. Well, I think he does. I mean, he certainly looks like a man who does need a bit of help. But maybe he just, you know, Martin Keown was interviewed on the radio last night, and he, and and you know, someone like Martin Keown surely can teach them a bit of defensive quality or two. What's Steve Bold doing, sitting there? wringing his hands. Surely he knows how to defend. Can't mm. he tell them? When Per Mertesacker got drawn in to that to that tackle on the halfway line, even though there's three Arsenal guys around the bloke, and, and I said, oh, trouble. You could see it, couldn't mm. you? And suddenly the guys threw on goal, and Berbatov, of all people, I mean, the whole thing was ridiculous. <laughs> and, and, and they need to be a bit less naive and they've got people who could help mm. and, he, and Arsene Wenger doesn't seem to, to use them he, so I have a mixture yeah. today of anger and resignation if I'm honest and yeah. I think it's a shame in a way He's remarkably undemonstrative isn't he Steve Bold in terms of when you, you remember when Pat Rice was alongside Arsene Wenger he was up and down and yeah. he was kicking balls and he yeah. was shouting at people and he was Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You know, telling people what to do and where to go and how to do it. And, I, you know, I know different people have different styles, but what, do, you know, sometimes you look at Steve Bold on the, on the bench and he, he doesn't move for the entire game. He just kind of sits there and has a quick chat to Arsenal. I know. I don't know. You know what? How can he be sitting there not being fundamentally pissed off with what he's seeing yeah. at times? Yeah. You know, at times we're playing beautiful football and it's great and you just go, wow, look at us. We are amazing, right? Yeah. But at other times, you know, it would be nice to see someone from the coaching staff losing their shit in the technical area it's for, to all intents and purposes. And when they don't, you know, you feel it's not good enough. It's Someone should be shouting and screaming. I, I, you know, I've spoken about this, and, and we might have spoken about this. I remember when Sir Alex Ferguson, I, May and I were playing away at Blackburn, and someone, I can't remember who, might have been Antonio Valencia, tried some fancy flick on the halfway line and gave the ball away. And I thought Sir Alex Ferguson's head was going to explode. <laughs> he was shouting at this poor May and I player for about five minutes. And I thought... Yeah, that is what we need. Mm. That they they need such a kick on occasion. You know, they're only they're only footballers, and they need to be told on occasion what to do. Yeah. And and it, it doesn't strike me there's enough of that. But yeah, it's it's very hard to make a case that these guys get punished enough for the mistakes that they made. You know, that's how you learn. When you get a bit, well, you get shouted at, and you get complained at, and then you kind of don't do it again, or you do it again, but in a slightly surreptitious way. You know. Well, the point is, we've been making the same mistakes for as long as we've been watching them. Mm. So, you know, these are cyclical things, and and they're not that nobody seems to be telling them not to do it, or if they are telling them not to do it, they're not telling them forcefully enough. Or they're, or you know? they're not listening. Uh, what? <laughs> or, or the other possibility is they're not listening, and 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 either way, that is scandalous. It's and for twelve hundred pound a year for a season ticket, it ain't it ain't it's not good enough. I don't think really. I just I don't think it's good enough. You know, I was actually feeling all right until I started speaking to you. <laughs> now I'm pissed off. It's not it's not you per se. It's just having to talk about this because I just think, oh, again. We're doing it again. Mm. You know, how many more times can we keep do, to, can we keep qualifying for a competition we've got no chance of winning? But, you know, I don't know what the answer is. I, I truly don't know what the answer is. Yeah. Let me ask you about the goalkeeping situation. I don't know either. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean one of the answers is a new manager, right? But, I, you know, I don't think that's going to happen. But who? 
Uh, well, I don't and, know, who, but it's it, not going to happen. It's not going to happen yeah. anyway because of the way that the the, no, the board uh, are set up, and they're they're very happy with him. So it's just not yeah. that's not the solution yeah. to what's going on right now. So um, yeah. The goal, you're asking me about the goalkeeper. Yeah, situation. I want to ask you about. I, I want to ask you about Ospina and Chesney. What's your on which which flavor are you uh, in that in this particular ice cream test? Plummy. you know what? All right, one at a time. Uh, Ospina doesn't uh, um, really uh, give me loads of confidence. He doesn't inspire me with confidence. Mm. Um, he's a decent enough goalkeeper, but there are probably ten goalkeepers in the Premier League I'd rather have. Right, right, if I'm honest, there's, you know, I mean, I'd probably, I'd have Fraser Forster. I'd undoubtedly have David. O'Hay. I mean, there's quite a few of them anyway. Yeah. That's the point. I'd have Joe Hart, um, and I think Chesney's a better goalkeeper. That's my feeling. I think of the two, I'd rather have Chesney in goal. But Chesney has got an issue of arrogance, in my opinion. I mean, essentially, if you think about him and David O'Hare and what's happened to the two of them as they've come through. De Gea has become one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Mm. Uh, Chesney basically thought he was one of the best goalkeepers in the world, and I think he's he's gone a little bit backwards. And, and, and I think... You know, maybe this period out of the first team is exactly what Arsene Wenger is uh, is is punishing him for thinking that. But if you're asking me which one I'd choose, I'd choose Chesney right now. Yeah, right now. Do you think Chesney has the smoking the potential? or not? <laughs> yeah, I would agree. But, uh, I do. Yeah, you yeah, think he's got the potential to go on and be? I think he's got the potential to go on and be a much much better goalkeeper than he is at the moment. I thought he was very good last season uh, for the most part. Um, and I thought this was going to be a season where where he really kicked on, but it looks like yeah. perhaps arrogance or complacency that, that he became very um, well, too confident in his position as number one. It's a bit, it's a bit of both, isn't it? He's got, he's got what Bender has, although not as much as Bender has, but no one has. But <laughs> he's got that, he's got that thing that he's the best goalkeeper in the world, and he's not. It's, you know, in, I've, I, we, we call it in comedy, we call it the gap of delusion, right? Yeah. That if you, ever, we all think we're slightly funnier than we are, but if you think <laughs> you're much, much funnier than you are, it becomes a problem, right? It, 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 it goes beyond confidence into arrogance and complacency. And that, unfortunately, is what's happened to Chesney. And he's not worked hard enough, and so he makes one or two basic errors. Yeah. And, and you know, uh, the smoking in the shower doesn't help, but I truly don't care. I don't think it's a good example for the kids, but if he wants to smoke, you know, I, I couldn't. He's a goalkeeper; he doesn't have to about that much anyway. But you know, he he should be a better goalkeeper than he is, and the reason he's not is because he already the level he needs to be at. Yeah. And and I think it's a, it's, you know, he's another one that someone needs. It's a thing. Someone needs to basically sit him down and say, now concentrate. You've got a chance to. Uh, you've got a real shot here. If you want to, you know, you could be one of the greats. But you have to start playing because he's got all the attributes. He's big, he's agile, he, he, he is a great shot stopper. And then he just has a brain freeze every so often. <laughs> I mean, we could see that, say this about every player in the team, essentially. Yeah. But he's, he's just another one who's like that, you know? All right. Uh, Ian, uh, we better leave it there. But thanks very much, as always, for your time. It's a pleasure talking to you, mate. All right, I'm sorry you to soon. bring up all those bad memories again and to uh, affect your mood uh, yeah, in that I way. I appreciate but, it. You know what you need to do now no, is go no, have no. a nice meal and uh, some bruschetta and a salad and some wine. It'll all be better again. I'm, I'm off out as we speak. <laughs> have fun. See you then.
That was Ian Stone, and you can find him on Twitter at Ian D. Stone. You can also catch him on this, I guess it's a fairly unknown podcast called The Tuesday Club. I think it's just a group of friends. I don't know who any of them are, really. They sit around and, and laugh a lot. I think they're trying to make their way in this new media landscape we're living in. So happy to give them a shout-out, The Tuesday Club. Check it out. Tell your friends. I'm sure they'll like it. <coughs> Speaking of that kind of stuff, though, media landscapes and all that, and if you haven't read today's blog, today is something of an auspicious day in the history of Ars blog. Thirteen years ago to this very day, the first Ars blog post was written. So Ars blog is a teenager today, which is, I guess, amazing, because now I'm going to go through puberty, blog puberty again. My voice will, I wonder, will it re-break? So you go like that, and then like... No, I I don't think any of those things are going to happen. But yeah, 13 years ago to this very day, and I remember it extremely well, extremely well, which is surprising because Spain has a climate that is conducive to growing a certain plant that one might partake of in a Rizla, a cigarette paper. And um, yeah, I had this, we had this house, in a, in a town called Villanova y la Geltru, about 40 minutes outside Barcelona. And it was a kind of a tall, thin house. And upstairs, at the very top floor, there was a, a, a balcony on either side of a kind of an office, a solarium type thing. And that's where I had my office. And that's where I was sitting when I decided that I was going to write a blog about Arsenal. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. Seriously, I had no clue. I was trying to do web design and that kind of stuff, and I figured I needed to do a website to to make sure that I could keep up with the latest trends in design, like tables and things. I don't know the rest anyway. I, I quickly figured I wasn't very good at the design part of things, but I remember thinking about what I was going to do. I know I've written about this, so if you've read it already, I apologize for uh, boring you with this story. But I started a, a website before Ars Blog. It was called The Church of Bob. And it was an homage to to Robert Perez. And it was just kind of silly, surreal stuff about how you could join the church and what the church was all about. And I can't even remember what it was about at this point. But then I figured the scope of that was really quite limited. So I better do something that would provide me with more content on a more regular basis. So I sat there probably for a few hours trying to figure it out, even though the jump is pretty obvious, right? If you're going from Robert Perez, what well, you know, expand it out a little bit and you, you come to Arsenal fairly quickly. But as I said, there were plants involved in cigarette papers and stuff. So, you know, your thinking isn't quite always straight. You go off in tangents. You might have a game of pro-evolution soccer and sit there for a while. Oh, remember when pro-evolution soccer was a good game? Those were the days. But I decided, yes, Arsenal. I'll write about Arsenal. That would be that would be good. What will I call this website about Arsenal? And I've been reading blogs, so I figured out a blog about Arsenal. Ars blog. What else what else could it be called? So I, I bought the domain arsblog.com. I set it up on my, my server, which was hosting about 50 other websites at the time, none of which were doing any traffic, and certainly arsblog wasn't, so it didn't make any difference at all. And it was called arsblog, the inconsequential ramblings of an Arsenal fan. And even though it changed to change the tagline to it's fucking excellent, I think that first one still applies quite well. 
because that's basically all it is inconsequential ramblings uh, and I'm still an Arsenal fan not that you can ever change but the very um, the very first post February 27 2002 it said the Arse blog is born and Arse blog was all caps with a space between each letter what the fuck like what was the idea behind that Anyway, it says the arse blog is born amidst a fanfare of pure silence and a rippling of no applause. Not sure what way this thing is going to go. It has no plan, no direction, no aim, no purpose. Simply a tool for me to ramble on about all things Arsenal and maybe some other stuff instead. Well, I think I probably meant to say some other stuff as well rather than instead. But, you know, plants, cigarette papers, what can you do? And it said, anyway, I shall crack on. On that day, Arsenal played Bayer Leverkusen in the Champions League, and we beat them 4-1 with goals from Robert Pires, Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, and Dennis Bergkamp. And on that day, I remember it vividly, and it's not because it's written down here in front of me. We, we didn't have Tony Adams, Martin Keown, Ashley Cole, Matthew Upson, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, Freddie Jumberg, Francis Jeffers, Canu, Par, Ray Parler, and Oleg Luzhny. None of them could play in the game. And we, you know, we think this injury thing is new. It's not new. Look at that for a fucking injury list. Seriously. Van Bronckhorst, that was a day that we found out that he had done his cruciate ligament. Now, I can't remember who the injury was against. Maybe Leicester or somebody like that. But uh, he was going to be out for nine months. That was February 27th, 2002. And here we are. February 27th, 2015. And I'm still fucking doing it. Who would ever have guessed? Certainly I wouldn't. You'd said that to me years ago, I'd be like, yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, as if anyone could do this for 13 years. You crazy. But we are. I am. It is. It's happening. You're here. And you're listening and reading and um, emailing and Twittering and Facebooking and all that kind of stuff. It's all changed. Podcasts and news sites and match reports and player ratings and all kinds of things and all kinds of people who are doing stuff for the site now as well, which is fantastic. It's great. And uh, I just want to say thank you. If you've been here from the very start, and I know some of you have been, 13 years ago, bet you feel old now, not quite as old as I feel. I was 30. 30, I was 30. Fuck. Fucking hell. There, well, time flies. It really does. But uh, thank you all indeed for for reading and listening and uh, getting in touch and maybe not getting in touch, thank you, to some people. Probably better off. But uh, it's all very much appreciated. And, look, we have our ups and downs from a footballing point of view. Things go well. Things don't go so well. But I like to think that on the site we've created a place where, for the most part, people can come and read about the club that they love and the club they support and do so and chat with other Arsenal fans without too much rancor or um, contrary. And it's not always possible. When you get this many people on one website, there's always going to be a few. you got to deal with some Egypts. But even the people that um, do disagree and do have differences of opinion, for the most part, do it with a reasonable amount of manners. The lesson there, folks, is to have rules and to apply them. Because if you let it become a free-for-all and you let things happen, then you're on a slippery slope. 
So that's my advice to anybody thinking about starting a website in their solarium at the moment. If you're thinking about starting your own blog while you're stoned off your mallet, go for it, I say. More power to you. There's plenty of room for everyone. People are dying for stuff to read and do and, and consume and all that kind of stuff. But just make sure you have rules about how people can talk to each other and, and have a little bit of manners. That's all. That's all. And then one day you'll wake up and you're 43 and you were 30 when you started it. And, and Arsenal have just lost to Monaco in, in the Champions League. But look, I remember, I remember when we would play in the Champions League back then. And we'd have some terrible nights, like really terrible nights, with a fantastic team, with one of the best teams that we, we've ever seen, with Henri and Vieira and Bergkamp and Perez and Parler and all these guys, and we struggled in Europe, really. So it's kind of weird and kind of the same. Maybe it's just the way it goes, and that's what we have to put up with as Arsenal fans. But uh, once more, thank you very much. And um, I'd invite you all for cake and champagne, but there isn't any. A bit of a shame. I should have sorted that out here tonight as I'm recording this. So there you go. 13 years of Arse blog. And, uh, well, here's to at least 13 more. Imagine sitting here when I'm 56 doing this. There's a scary thought now. Anyway, it could be worse. Could be a lot worse. So I'm very grateful to uh, to everybody uh, who reads and listens and, and everything else. So thank you. So look, we're going to go and talk very briefly about Everton. I'm just going to check here now and see is there any team news that we've got from Arsenal.com, which is kind of in um, media lockdown. There doesn't appear to be very much on the website today, this evening, after what happened against Monaco. And that's probably good. There don't appear to be any Twitter conversations with the Monaco account or anything like that. Also good. We're not having the crack with, with the Everton Twitter all about Sunday. Also good. But we've obviously got a, a big game on Sunday and one from which we need to take three points and to bounce back from the disappointment of uh, the game against Monaco. Changes. I think there should be some changes to the team. My cha- This is what I would do if I was the manager. I'd have Chesney back in goal ahead of Ospina. I don't think Ospina's done a great deal wrong, but I, you know, personally, I just feel that Chesney is a better goalkeeper. I hope that the punishment he's received has uh, sorted him out in terms of his own head. And of the two goalkeepers we have at the moment, I think he's the best one. I think he should play. I will put Kieran Gibbs back on the bench for Nacho Monreal. I think that was perhaps a little bit of a mistake, unless Monreal was carrying an injury. I know he had a bit of a uh, difficult time in the opening 15, 20 minutes against Palace, but after that, he was fine. And he's been playing very well. And I think left-back is an interesting position. Should it be Gibbs? Should it be Monreal? Or, just throwing this out there, we get to the end of the season and we look for an upgrade on both of them. How about that? I like Monreal and I like Gibbs, but I'm worried that Gibbs hasn't quite progressed the way that we would have hoped. And he's, what, 25 now, 26? So he's not like an ingenue. He's not a young player anymore. Uh, yeah, he's 25 now. Oh, his birthday is the same day as mine. So he'll be 26th uh, in the uh, on the 26th of September. There you go. But um, maybe that's an area that come the summer we could improve on. So uh, I'd have Monreal back in. I think you might want to take Mertesacker out of the firing line after the game he had against Monaco. 
Um, he struggled and he has struggled from time to time this season, but he's played most of the games. And maybe there's just an element of either mental or physical burnout there. So we bought a new centre half. Let's give him a couple of games. Let's get Gabrielle in there. If Jack Wilshire is fit, I would have him back in the side as a traditional central midfield player. I think we've missed that. I think we were sort of overloaded with attackers against Monaco. It didn't quite click. And the decision then the manager has to make is what does he do with his forward players? Can Theo Walcott come back in? Alexis looked a little bit tired, a little bit out of it uh, against against Monaco. Ozil didn't have a great game. I didn't think he was uh, terrible by any stretch. I was very surprised to see some of the criticism he got. But he seems to me to be an easy target because... uh, people perhaps want to see more from a 42 and a half million pound player and i get that completely but at the same time he's just a lovely footballer to watch and to judge him on an individual basis when everyone else played just as badly or just as poorly as he did seems a little bit unfair um but i think he'll he'll play will Giroud start or will welbeck that's the option the manager has from his uh, attacking point of view. He could give uh, Giroud the redemption. We spoke about Nicholas Bentner having that game against Burnley. I think the next game after that was in the Champions League against Porto. He went out and scored a hat-trick. So the manager might want to throw Giroud straight back into it and give him a chance to put the Monaco game behind him. But I think there needs to be a few changes against Everton, to be perfectly honest, because uh, we just need to freshen things up a bit. The team didn't play well in midweek. And to throw the same players out there again, well, I'm just not sure that would work. Everton haven't been brilliant this season, but then, you know, that means nothing in terms of what we might do against a a particular opponent. So let's keep fingers crossed. I'm going to be over for the game, so hopefully see a few of you in the usual place for a, a pint before the game and maybe a quick pint afterwards before I shoot back off to the airport. I'll be here on Monday with James for an Arscast Extra. So until next week's Arscast, take it easy. Here's to three points on Sunday. Take it easy. Cheers. Bye bye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.